Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to the Football Digest Daily. I'm your host, Conor Bromley, and I'm today joined by Tom Canton from the Arsenal Way and Alex Richards, who's one of our Mirror Sport journalists. Um, plenty to cover today, you know, full Premier League programme coming up this weekend. Obviously, we've had a, a big week of exciting European football as well. It's good to have crowds back in the Champions League, the Europa League and the Europa Conference League as well for the Tottenham fans listening. Um, but I suppose the place to start with a Premier League preview and because we've got an Arsenal uh, journalist or Arsenal fan on here as well, we're going to start with Burnley against Arsenal. A relegation six-pointer, is it? Or has that changed now after mm. last week's win against Norwich yeah, City? I wonder how long it's going to be before that joke stops. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very different game. So obviously the game against Norwich was a much-needed win last week. But uh, we went into that game knowing we are going against a Norwich side that play out from the back. We pressed them exceptionally hard, won the ball in key areas and hit them for a lot of chances. Against Burnley, that's not going to happen. Burnley just don't play out from the back. They prefer to kick it long. And they've got, I keep on saying Charlie Austin is, of Ashley Barnes. I don't know what it is. It's an obsession about Charlie Austin I've got for some reason. Ashley Barnes and uh, and Chris Wood up top that are going to have a lot more fortune at winning aerial duels than Timu Puki did uh, at the Emirates. So I imagine that Arsenal will find it a lot more tricky to, to nav- navigate this game. But again, another game that they must win if they want to turn things around and for that pressure to remain as off Arteta as it can be, really. And Alex, you know, Sean Dice just signed a new contract in the week as well. Obviously, done an amazing job at Burnley, but they've started the season pretty slow. They actually played pretty well against Everton on Monday night, but came unstuck when Everton decided to move it up a gear. So, what's your thoughts on them heading into this game? Do you think they'll be targeting this as is a, a must win fixture? I think they kind of have to, don't they? They've only taken one point from their first first four games. Um, as you mentioned, Ned, great news that Sean Dice has got a new contract. I think I think that's that's been something that's just rumbled on for far too long. Um, but now it's good that that is settled and he can focus on on the on-field matters again. Um, Everton Monday night was a very strange game. I thought I thought for the first 50 minutes, 55 minutes or so, they were very good. Um, and I also thought for the last 20 minutes or so, they were very good. But there was, there was a, a period of about 15 minutes where the game just got away from them. They conceded three goals in, in six minutes, which is... Most unlike them, where they were just defensively all over the shop. Um, but but on the whole, I didn't see a lot wrong with them. I, I thought they they looked pretty solid for the most part defensively. You know what you're going to get with them in terms of midfield and creativity. It's going to be pretty direct. It, it, direct. It's not going to be really much flair outside of Dwight McNeil and, and the front two caused Everton problems and were a threat for most of the evening. Um, obviously. They took the lead, they looked all right, they completely lost their way for six minutes, conceded three, and that was the game. I think I think perhaps they will look at this now as an Arsenal side that despite that win last week, they can they can do a number on this weekend, to be quite honest, that, that, that they can get at, that they can go back to what Burnley do do best, and that's play this high tempo, 
get the ball forwards, cause problems in their final third and, and just be pretty solid defensively. So I think, yeah, if, if, if Sean Dyche is looking at this game, he, he's looking at it quite simply as, as one where they need to get three points and start their season. Yeah, and apologies there if you heard my dog having a little little bark at the postman dropping off there. He obviously disagreed maybe with what you were saying there, Alex. Um, Arsenal, though, how do you think they'll approach the game uh, against Burnley? Because it's it's typically a, a tough place to go, and I hate throwing out mm. the stereotypes of like the tough night at, at Stoke and all that sort of thing. But Turf Moor is a place that I think most teams know they're going to be in for a battle. Um, and I think, you know, watching Burnley last time they played there at home against Leeds, they were pretty unfortunate to not win that game just before mm-hmm. the international break. How do you think Arsenal approach it? And do you think it'll be a, a, a high intensity game, a low scoring game? How do you see it playing out? It's really difficult to kind of predict because as with Arsenal, you don't know which Arsenal are going to turn up. Is it going to be the Arsenal that we saw against Brentford in the opening day and then get schooled against Chelsea and Man City? Or is it going to be the side that came out the blocks exceptionally quickly against Norwich and were just unable to be clinical in those first 30 minutes to open the game up a bit more? It's it's tricky. What we've seen from Arteta is someone that likes to change a lot, tinker every game, make too many changes. And I think what we need to start seeing from him is consistency, not tweaking the lineup too much, making maybe one or two changes. The only change I can think of to make really from that game against Norwich is, is bringing Partey in if he is fully fit over Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And, and that's a big boost for us midfield because it steps up the level an incredible amount. But in terms of how it's going to play out, you're going to be looking at Burnley, as I said earlier, they're going to be looking to play the ball up to the likes of Woods uh, and Barnes and winning those areas. And Ben White's going to face an exceptionally tricky challenge. Someone we know that aerially maybe isn't as impressive as as some of the other defenders that you'll find in the league, but he's going to have to have a bit of a baptism of fire, I suppose, against Burnley in that game. Gabriel should help him, as should Tommy Asu too. But I think it's going to be cagey. I can't see it being high scoring. But what we've seen from the opening games from Burnley is if they do take the lead, which they have been doing, they aren't as secure at holding on to them, it seems. And Alex, what happens if... Arsenal do fail to win this weekend because so much pressure on uh, Mikel Arteta heading into that game against Norwich. They win that one. The pressure relieved a little bit, but a defeat against Burnley surely then just puts that all back on and Arsenal are back in the crisis that we were all talking about you know, just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. It just ramps it up again, doesn't it? Um, where are we? 16th in, in the league table at this moment. Burnley would, of course, leap above them. Um, you're looking at the potential that Leeds or Newcastle also jump above them. So if if this does go wrong, if Arsenal are defeated this weekend, it's back into the relegation zone. And, and obviously that will then just bring more pressure and and we will be sitting here and on after the game and, and there will be more social media outcry, there will be more questions being asked of Arteta, of his tactics, of his players. It's just going to start all over again. And, and I don't think that's really something that's going to stop until they are able to put a run together. Um, I'd be interested in Tom's thoughts on on how they will line up here because they're going to play against Mm -hmm. a Burnley team who will play the two big men up top. Um, Does does Arteta, with questions over his defence, as Tom's mentioned there, Ben White, outstanding player, but there are are some questions over his aerial ability as as a centre-back. Is this sort of game where Arsenal perhaps have to go with three centre-backs? perhaps. Um, mm. And also, what do you do? Emil Smith-Rowe, Martin Odegaard, Nicolas Pepe, Bukayo Saka. I don't think this is the sort of game where you can play them all. Um, how do we see How do we see them lining up at both ends of the field, pretty much, I think, is a, is a big question. 
It's huge. And I think that, as I said a second ago, consistency is going to be the key thing for Arteta this season and trying to find out what his best 11 is. But you do need to take games by game and, and assess the opposition. And as you said, they're having two players up top like like Woods and, and Barnes, having three centre-backs to support maybe the, the frailties of, of White in the air would benefit him. Holding, we believe, is is going to be out of this game. So that's one option that you don't necessarily have. You could move Tommy Asu from that right-back role to that right centre-back position. He won a lot of his aerial duels against Norwich and was impressive in that sense. So maybe that's something that you could try but looking at what we've done this season, when I thought that we would match Chelsea's back three, we didn't. When I thought that we might not play, say, a Kalasinac against City, we did. It's really difficult to, to kind of know how we're going to approach and line up. I think that despite the benefits of playing a back three, um, I still think he will maintain that back four and want to keep those back four of Tomiyasu, White, Gabriel and Tierney as as together and as playing as consistently together as possible to kind of build up a chemistry between them. Okay, well, uh, we'll jump now and hope for your sake, Tom, that it is a positive result this weekend. And next time we get you on, we'll just be talking about how good things are at yeah. Arsenal. Um, <laughs> Manchester City, Southampton, um, you know, the big talk in the uh, week about Pep Guardiola asking for the fans to turn up. And me and Tom had a little bit of discussion about this before. It started. Do you think that that theme of Man City and you know having quote unquote no fans and the empty head and all that stuff? Do you think that gets at the fans a lot? But do you think it also gets at the club and their image of being a, a big, you know, giant uh, comparable to Manchester United and Liverpool? Do you think it hurts their image when the manager also is calling out the fans, Alex? I don't know if it hurts the image. Um, I, I think the. For quite some time, there is going to remain this inferiority complex where, where they are concerned, regardless of how many trophies they win, regardless of how successful they are on the field, they are the second team in Manchester. Um, we can't we can't get away from that, quite frankly. It, Manchester United are, are just such a, a huge club, such a behemoth on and off the field, that it's, it's going to need a lot, a lot of years of, of proven success, of continued success uh, for City to to usurp them in that way. Um, I think it's really interesting, Pep Guardiola, turning around to the fans and and saying these things, calling for them um, to be there, to be more vocal, to, to be there more in their numbers. It's kind of taken away from, you know, another week where they've blasted away opposition in the Champions League where it was a, just a, a freak game that they're still conceding three goals and, and thrashing RB Leipzig. Guardiola obviously getting into it with Riyad Mahrez and with Jack Grealish on the field at the same time, really, really ramming home that he wasn't happy with some of their defensive contributions. It seems like, to be cynical, it's something he's just he's come out with and said because he's not happy with his team at the moment. Just, just wants to take the focus away from them a little bit. And that's exactly what he's done. Um, this is the sort of game where I think we kind of take it for granted that City will win. Uh, and, I, and I think he sees that perhaps, that, that he feels the fans might take it for granted, that he is looking at this Premier League title race this season with Liverpool, with Chelsea, with United as well, that he needs City to be at it every game and what we saw in midweek was okay attack wise absolutely they are 
but defensively there were a few issues creeping in. And I think he's he's kind of diverted attention towards right, we need to be absolutely at our best. And and that's the entire club. I need the fans behind the team completely. I don't need you coming with expectations that we're going to win. I need you coming and being so vocal and giving your backing to this team. And I need the team to to be far better because at the end of the day, if we're sitting here in May and Manchester City haven't won the Premier League title, well, it's a disappointing season for them. So I think it's just something that he has done quite frankly, to just remind everyone, OK, there's no guarantees here. We we just need to be better. Do you think, Tom, that, Ars- uh, that Arsenal, that Man City, are in top gear? Certainly going forward, we saw them, you know, dismantle Arsenal just a few weeks ago at their Ehad, and they've, they've mm. scored so many goals in recent weeks. At the back, as Alex mentioned, there is question marks, but going forward, Southampton have to worry that this could be another one of their typical 9-0 defeats that they've, they've suffered a few of in the last few years. Do you think that it is possible that City will maybe not score nine, but really blow them away? Or do you think Southampton will will do what they did against Man United and and really, really match one of the more elite teams in the Premier League? I mean, you lean towards, don't you, that the idea that City will just blow Southampton away more so than Southampton being a more resolute side. It is going to come down to that first kind of opening 20 minutes. If if City are able to score in in the first few, that will open up the game so much more and, and then lean much towards what Guardiola wants to do. So... With with De Bruyne now back as well, like fully, and you see him in, in midweek being so influential against Leipzig, you'd think that he is going to be that that switch for them along and com- combining with someone like Jack Grealish being on the top of his form, getting a goal in his first Champions League debut as well. They've got everyone they need to be on top form. Yes, I think defensively we're always going to look at that. But I mean, you look at the Leicester game, they're able to keep a clean sheet in that match too. So... It's, it's weird we still kind of question, isn't it, after they've spent so much on their defence and, and how much they've gone into Laporte and Diaz and, and Mendy and all of these guys at the back line and, and Edison as well, of course, too. So I think that I lean very much towards a high-scoring game for City once again and De Bruyne to be, and along with Grealish, absolutely influential. In that. And one of the other title contenders, Liverpool host Crystal Palace. Um, you know, Palace will be bouncing after their win last week against Spurs. Absolutely hammered Spurs. I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and we've seen Palace in the past have got good results against some of the bigger sides in the Premier League, though it's a very different team, obviously, with a different manager. What threat, Alex, do you think they can cause Liverpool? Do you think Wilfred Zaha, who I think started the season maybe a bit slower compared to normal. Do you think he can cause them an issue and also Liverpool likely to put Virgil van Dijk in, you presume, after he was rested midweek? Do you think this is a good game for him to continue to sort of come back to 100% in what he was before his injury last season? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there is no doubt that he will be back in that starting lineup this weekend. Um, we, we saw again just how influential and how important he is to this Liverpool side because frankly in midweek they were coasting against AC Milan they were one up they'd missed a penalty they were creating chances galore it looked like it was going to be a rout uh, and and then they just lost concentration they got pulled apart a little bit for a couple of minutes and conceded twice and and suddenly it was a much more difficult evening than than it had appeared it was going to be um I, I think Jurgen Klopp absolutely right not to blame in midweek he knows that the he needs to still be careful with Virgil van Dijk. 
I'm sure Virgil van Dijk wanted to play. I'm sure he wanted to be in that starting lineup, and I'm sure he wants to be in it each week. But it's not worth it for Liverpool to to really push him too far at this moment. They need to be tailoring things and, and ensuring that they get the entire season out of him. So I think it was smart to do that, but no doubt he will be back this weekend and no doubt they'll be defensively stronger because of it, because he just makes the entire team better. Um, saying that, Crystal Palace, as you mentioned there, brilliant win against Spurs last week. And and I've got to say, I've been quietly impressed with their start to the season. OK, they took a, a, a decent beating at Chelsea on the opening day. That's going to happen to teams. Um, then they were, they were good against Brentford. They just couldn't find find a finish. Um, they followed that up with a, with a draw at West Ham again. When I would argue they were the better team on the day, um, and then Spurs last week barely laid a glove on them. Defensively, they dealt with Harry Kane exceptionally well, and in the second half, they really stepped it up in attack. Um, Will Zahar, I think he's enjoying this more attacking style of play that Patrick Vieira is trying to implement. He's getting a lot of freedom down that left side and, and he's not having to carry the entire attacking load, it seems, anymore. I think there was this thing under Roy Hodgson that if Sahar didn't do it, who was going to? Um, and I think the area is looking to spread that around. It's noticeable that a lot more of their play so far this season is coming through the centre of midfield, down the right-hand side as well. Um, Conor Gallagher is really impressing on loan from Chelsea. Um, he was excellent against Spurs again last week. And of course, Odson Edward off the bench, two goals in quick succession. He looks like he will, if they can create chances, put them away. Um, I'd be interested to see if he starts ahead of Christian Benteke this weekend in a game where they'll probably have a lot less of the ball and they'll need somebody with a bit more movement and who can stretch this Liverpool defence rather than rather than Benteke who will come to feet and, and he's just a big target in the air, kind of. Um they can cause Liverpool problems on the counter-attack. They've got speed in that team. They've got runners. As I mentioned there, Gallagher is making some great forward runs at the moment. James McArthur is a very underrated player who does that as well. Um, and obviously the threat and the trickery of Zaha. But you look at Liverpool and, and you look at where Jurgen Klopp's team are at the moment. And they're very much another team who, for me, they're very in what Americans just term win-now mode. They've just got to go out and keep winning. They've got players of, of such experience now, of such quality. And they know they're in the middle of a title battle. They know that these are the sort of games that they really just can't afford to drop points in. And so it will be a very interesting game because I think it's one of those where the first goal really will be crucial again. Because if, if Liverpool get it, you're kind of then expecting them to just go on and just storm to a, a comfortable victory. Despite what happened in midweek. If Palace get it, it really sets the cat amongst the pigeons and, and we see, OK, what, what are Palace made of in terms of holding on to a lead against such a, a tough opposition away from home? And, and what do Liverpool look like when they're made to chase the, chase the game um, against good opposition? And Tom, Liverpool have kind of been, I don't, I don't want to say put the wayside, but people have been talking more about Chelsea and Man City and even Manchester United as title contenders over Liverpool, but People seem to forget that when Liverpool have had a fit Virgil van Dijk, they've had two 90-plus point seasons and, you know, mm. it was so close to winning the Premier League um, when Man City just picked up the post, won it the next year. Do you think people forget how good this Liverpool team is when it's fully fit? 
Absolutely. I mean, for me, Liverpool still have the best when everyone's fit starting 11 in the Premier League. And that that, that front three of Firmino and, and Mane and Salah is just still such a, a threatening kind of emphasis of their team. And when you add Jota on top form to that too, and you can put him in instead of, of Firmino, it, it makes it even more dynamic. And and they how they switch between and how fluid that forward line is makes opposition teams just frightened of it. And I think that Liverpool will, for me, I'm, I'd am i be more inclined if Van Dijk can stay fit to put them ahead of Manchester United as, as title contenders. I mean, I think it was Gary Neville who argued that, our, uh, that the Premier League has the four best teams in Europe. I, I do disagree slightly. I wouldn't put United in it. I'd put Bayern Munich in that top four over them personally. And I think maybe the, the results in midweek are a bit of an evidence as to why that is too. But Liverpool will be a side when they go when they play Crystal Palace of trying to make a statement. I think in this game and after Palace have kind of got their tails up a bit with that win over Spurs, it, it can be a statement for them. And I think for for Palace's perspective, if they say to lose this game badly after getting a little bit of a boost, as we've said against Spurs, it, it could be a really damaging impact on on kind of Vieira's kickstart to the season because that would leave them with just one win from the first five games, which it doesn't look too great, especially when you've lost as many as they would have if they do lose to Liverpool but at the same time Palace just to focus on them again briefly I really kind of like the squad that they're building I had a lot of concerns about Palace in the summer with so many players out of contract and leaving but the, the business that they've done like Eduard coming in and scoring two on his debut it's, it's not a flash in the pan like Eduard's a, a really good forward that scored goals in for Scotland and of course for the youth sides in France too uh, Gay coming in you've already got Eberichi Eze there who's not currently injured when he comes back to play with someone else really young like a Michael Elise they signed from Reading you suddenly get a picture of this young side that's brimming with potential and quality and, and all those Vieira is a really kind of inexperienced coach he will hopefully have the ability to to really gel those young kids together. And Gallagher, as, as Alex mentioned too, so much quality there that they can really build towards what they would hope to be maybe a top half finish this season. Well, we'll move ahead now. West Ham against Manchester United. Um, Alex, is this the biggest test United have faced this season? We've seen them struggle away from home so far, you know, picked up a... Yeah, a win against Wolves, which they, they really didn't deserve uh, just before the international break. Obviously, we saw them get beat midweek as well. It feels like this game kind of has West Ham win written all over it to me. But do you think that's just maybe me being a bit cynical? How do you think see this game playing out? I think that's you being optimistic, mate. Um, I think this is one where Manchester United will be very thankful to the Premier League schedule gods. Um Having played Tuesday night, having seen West Ham in Europe on Thursday night, an extra 48 hours um, rest is going to make a world of difference. Um, and, and I would be stunned if they don't win, which, you know, West Ham are a very good team. And, and David Moyes has really done a, a fine job there. Um, but with Mikhail Antonio suspended, with that 48 hours rest, as I've mentioned, I see United really bouncing back from, from their defeat in midweek. Um, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will put out his strongest side. That'll mean Rafael Varane straight back in. It'll mean Mason Greenwood, who was who didn't play in midweek, he'll be straight back in. Ronaldo up top, Fernandez, Pogba. I think all United's big hitters are out and I think they're, quite frankly, told you go and win this and you make up for what happened. Uh, and I fully expect them to do so. Um and as we've mentioned already, they're involved in this title race where you are dealing with 
the likes of City and Liverpool who have experience of hitting those high 90-point marks, you can't afford not to win. If you're Manchester United, you have to go there and get all three points. And, and I think that because of the schedule, because of how West Ham and their European commitments now, I think it plays into United's hands. Tom, do you think, do you agree with Alex? Yeah, sorry, Connor. I, I think you've been a little bit optimistic as well. I don't blame you, though, to be honest. Like When you think about West Ham and what they are achieving under David Moyes, it is impressive. And they, as I've just spoken about, Palace and the team they're building, West Ham are, are kind of that next stage on with their development of their side and, and are building something really impressive. But, yeah, United's team is just... When, when you look at all the players they've got available now to Solskjaer, Ronaldo is, is three goals in two. You, you can't bet against him. Really, I mean, if you're a fantasy player, if you've not got him in your team, I'd question what you're doing right now. But it's it's a simple case of they've got so many goals. If Sancho does kind of finally click for them too, that's another boost for them. Who's kind of struggled in those opening weeks since signing from Dortmund, and, and with Pogba looking ever more likely, probably with his future remaining in Manchester as well, that kind of integration of him as a fully committed member of that side is only going to be a big boost to the midfield uh, and their ability to create going forwards and and be solid going backwards as well. So I think it's, I'd only lean towards a United win and a, and a comfortable one at that as well. I think, I think, sorry, Carla, I think had this, um, had neither side played in midweek and they both had the same amount of time, I think we'd, we'd be seeing a, very, a much tougher game because mm-hmm. I think West Ham are a very good team and I think with their home backing now, They'd give United a real go. But I just think that's going to be so important. And and obviously Antonio being out suspended, West Ham yes. don't have a backup striker, which which just, you know... I Who is going to go up top? Do you know? If I had to put money on it, I would think he might lean to Yarmolenko. Interesting. Purely, purely for a, a size aspect. Um I, the mention has, has also been that perhaps he doesn't go with anyone. Perhaps, mm. perhaps you, they brought Alex Kral to play in midfield. Perhaps you add him into your midfield with Sajek and, and Rice. And then you just let Fournals, Jared Bowen and, and Ben Rama be a front three. And you don't really have anyone up there. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting, whoever he picks. Um, then, of course, it will be as strong a lineup as both can pick. They're, of course, playing one another in the Carabao Cup next week as well. Um, when I think you'll see complete 11 changes on both sides. Um, why that game has been picked for TV, I, who knows? Um, so be interesting to see what West Ham do. I, I just feel kind of bad for them that they haven't got the same amount of time in between, but that's, that's just what happens when you're going to Europe, I suppose. Yeah, I think my sort of thought on it was just watching United away from home in the Premier League, well, and in Europe as well. I just think they've been, they were terrible against Southampton, they were terrible against Wolves. Terrible midweek. I don't know yeah. why. If if they don't, if they play at that performance level against West Ham, even with West Ham not having a striker, they will struggle to win that game. I think it's one of those things with United that everybody came out the transfer window so buoyed by what they'd done, bringing in Sancho, bringing in Varane, and then getting Ronaldo. That really took them over the top. And that Ronaldo deal has taken them from a team where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, can we see more improvement to you've got to win something now. There's no ifs, buts, or maybes. You've got to, you've got to get some silverware on the board. You can't be sitting here finishing second at the end of the season, having been beaten in a, in a cup semi final, and say, oh, we've made progress. You've spent huge money. You've got to go and win something. But as we're talking about, so difficult that Southampton game proved to be. 
they got away with one at Wolves. They've been beaten by young boys. There are still issues there because the side just doesn't really have that balance that their rivals do. I think of, of the top four, they are the least well-balanced squad because there are still big questions over the midfield makeup and who exactly is best to play in attack with Ronaldo. Yeah, I'll be sneaking into your DMs if West Ham do win <laughs> on Sunday. Yeah. I told you. I told you. Uh, we'll jump now uh, to Spurs against Chelsea. And Tom, you're you're the guy to talk to about Spurs. So, oh, do you yeah. think they can do to Chelsea what they did to Man City at the start of the season? The the, the quality those Spurs have got, um, and the fact that they kept Kane, they they can unfortunately, from my perspective, be anyone on their day. Is is as the saying goes, and they showed that against Manchester City. The issue for them is similar to how we just spoke about the effect on West Ham in midweek is is how Spurs will be affected by this this midweek game against Wren and losing Bergwijn and, and Lucas Moura. Possibly we don't know about the kind of status of those two going into this game or how long if they are going to be out is a big, big blow whilst Hummin Son is still what we're led to believe is, is still out too. That leaves Kane and Ali being those two key factors for them in, in that forward line. Um, Gilles, who I imagine is fit too, is going to be probably coming in to, to step up and it's going to be a, a massive game against Chelsea to, to come in and step up on, on that side of things too. So from Chelsea's perspective, they are the overriding favourites uh, for this and Lukaku scoring again in the Champions League. And, and again, we just talked about Man United having 40 hours extra rest. Chelsea are going to have extra rest as well. So all of the the kind of the, the tips that you've got there lean towards this Chelsea team. And it, it, Tuchel's got a selection problem, which is great for him. You've got Ziyech, who he didn't really like too much last season, coming forward and being more influential, leaving out Mason Mount as well at times because he doesn't have to play Mason Mount in every single game with Havertz there. And as we talked about players like, like Ziyech. So who he goes for and if, if Werner gets an opportunity to play alongside Lukaku, that's, that is a dynamic if I come from like a neutral perspective. I want to see Werner playing with Lukaku. I loved seeing Lukaku play alongside Latara Martinez at Inter Milan. I feel like those two could form a similar kind of partnership where Lukaku is able to hold the ball up and feed the ball through to an on-running Werner. And I'm not sure why maybe they've not chosen to done that as much as they could have done already this season. But Chelsea are absolute favourites and and should be coming to expect all three points. Any disagreements there, Alex? Do you see Spurs able to sneak something from that or do you think it should be pretty as comfortable as it can be for Chelsea? I wouldn't like to write Spurs off given that we given what we saw on the opening day against Man City and and that they until last week had, had won all their games, but they've not really been impressive, I don't think. Um and and I think this Chelsea team what we know about them is they get results. They know how to get the job done. Um, it doesn't have to be pretty, as we saw in midweek against Zenit. Um, but I think what the best 45 minutes we've seen from Chelsea so far this season were probably the opening half at Anfield before, obviously, Reese James' handball and going down to 10 men. And they're excellent. And I think if they're anything like that, I would expect a similar starting lineup with Mant and Havertz playing off Lukaku and and them going that way. If they're anything like that, I think they'll be too good for Spurs, quite frankly. Um, it, what what Spurs really need and, and whether he will be fit and able to play is Hung Min Son. His, his pace, his, his movement off the ball, he's crucial in, the, in their games against the big teams. Um, and without him, I think they are they're really struggling because they have a lot of players who, who like to come to the ball 
who, who don't really want to stretch sides going the other way. Um, and I think that will play into Chelsea's hands. So I, I think if you're looking at it right now, you, you have to say Thomas Tuchel, his side, they, they know what they need to do. They are just so well drilled, so hard to beat. I, I would I would be, as Tom says, I'd be leaning their way. Other games to look at the weekend, I've picked out two relegation six-pointers. We're already at that point of the season where you think there's, there's teams that you're pretty confident will be towards the bottom end of the league. Newcastle against Leeds. It's a, a fascinating fixture because... You know, there's there's talk of a protest at Newcastle. They've got a paper aeroplane thing where they're going to throw planes at the pitch <laughs> during the game. I think on the TV tonight at eight o'clock, so a midweek game as well. Well, under the lights, um, which is always makes it a little bit more interesting. Do you think this is? To be honest, you can't put into words how big of a game this is, Tom, because mm. Leeds have started so poorly, Newcastle have started so poorly. Newcastle lose, you'd think. Oh God, well. They don't like the manager. The manager's calling out the players already. There was reports yesterday of training ground bust-ups. There's so much happening there. And if you lose at home to Leeds, you think, oh, God, maybe the time's kind of running out and they're, they're going to really struggle this season. And as for Leeds, you, you just worry that the Bielsa effects, you know, wearing off and they're, they're not going to be the team that we all enjoyed watching last season. It's so... The Leeds factor, as you say, and the Bielsa factor is so interesting because... I know that he's clearly a very good coach. I know that he has some amazing ideas about how to set a team up and to get them playing some amazing football. But then you see some of the score lines when they just fall apart and you think that's not sustainable in the long term, really. Like you can't just go into every game looking to outscore the opponent somewhere. There's got to be consistency, surely, to keep you in a job. But maybe the fact that Bielsa's taken them that next step and got them to the Premier League and got them, you know, to a mid-table finish last season and is, is enough for Leeds fans to be happy for now. But I think if they do end up losing a significant number of games a season by big score lines, that kind of magic around a manager can wear off very, very quickly. So in regards to this game, as you say, against Newcastle, it's, it's massive. It's a season definer already so early on in the campaign. Whoever wins this game, it could be a turning point for their season and they go on a run of games and, and turn their season around for the other. The complete opposite happens. And if it's a draw, arguably that's the worst result for both of them because then just it's, it's, you're not building on anything really with a draw in this game. It's, you might argue, say, at least we didn't lose, but one point for these two teams in this type of game is not enough to, to make any kind of difference in the early part of the campaign. For Newcastle, Joe Willock's fitness is being assessed ahead of this game. That would be big for them. Obviously, as a big fan of Joe Willock from his time at Arsenal, wasn't really able to have the same impact as he was in those last six months on loan at Newcastle, but they need him playing like he was. I don't, I don't. It's not sustainable to expect someone to score as many goals at that age as he did last season throughout his time at a club, but you can expect him to chip in with a goal here and there and be a kind of a deciding factor in the box in the last few minutes of games if off the bench or or from the start. So that'll be key. Alan Samaxaman is always going to be someone that Newcastle players are going to look to for inspiration and for a bit of magic. And if he can turn things around, then that's what you're going to need to, to make that key difference. But the fitness problems, the, the issues behind the scenes at Newcastle always make me never favour them, to be honest, in a game because there's just so many unknown and and really undecisive variables with Newcastle. And Alex, do you think, looking at that game, you know, Leeds were so poor last weekend against Liverpool and I thought they were disappointing. You thought that with a full Elm Road, you know, and they were finally playing one of the, you know, huge teams at home that they would have really, really put on a, a good show, but they were, they were second best pretty much from the start of that game. Do you think they can go to Newcastle and and play with the freedom and confidence to really, A, put the crowd on the back of Newcastle players straight away, and B, ultimately come out with a win? 
Yeah, certainly. I, I think looking at Leeds, they they don't mind giving a punch to take a punch. Unfortunately for them, when they come up against the big boys, they, they're just going to take far more punches than they're capable of giving. Um, and that's what we've seen last week against Liverpool. But I don't think they ever get disheartened by it. And I think that's kind of the beauty of Bielsa. He is untouchable there after what he's achieved at Elland Road. But even when they are battered by, by one of the big boys, they keep going and he gets them back on track quickly. And and I think this is the sort of game that they will be looking at and, and thinking, right, we, we're going to a team who there are all sorts of reports coming out about Newcastle and it just doesn't seem a happy place. I mean, it hasn't been a happy place for supporters for quite some time, um, but it doesn't seem a happy place on the training ground anymore or, or for players on the field. Um, so I think they, Leeds will be going here and... and Okay, you've conceded eleven goals in the first four games, so this is going to sound very strange. But I think they'll go full of confidence that they can go and cause Newcastle all kinds of problems, that they can come back with three points. Um, they're they're boom or bust, aren't they? They're either they're either going to go there and win three 0 they're going to come home and having lost three 0 There's no in between ground with Leeds United, really. Um, and I think with the Newcastle, Callum Wilson being injured, they're just an infinitely worse team when he's not available. Um, sadly for them. Um, so I'd be looking at this and I'd be, I'd be thinking that Leeds go and they bounce back here. Um, I think we have to take some of their results so far. Burnley away was got a draw, was tough. Everton at home, tough. Got thrashed by Man United and Liverpool, but that's just coming up against two sides who are much better than them and they, they tried to give it a go and they just weren't quite good enough on either of those days. I, I think Leeds United will be okay this season. I can't say the same for Newcastle. I hope you're right. <laughs> From a Sunderland fan perspective, I hope you're right. Uh, last game to touch on, Norwich against Watford, two newly promoted sides. Norwich, terrible start of the season, although admittedly the, the fixture gods were very much against them when they handed <laughs> out their fixtures for the season because they've just had a, a horrible time of it. Watford, good start of the season. You know, one on the opening day against Aston Villa would have been pretty poor. Since Tom, do you think that this game again, you know, the, the kind of the winner from this, I mean, if Norwich got beaten this one, you'd probably think already that you may as well just count them as, as relegated. What fad, mm. you think if they get beat, you know, they've got a trigger happy chairman who might fancy a change. We've seen them do it a million times before. Who's to say that this weekend couldn't be the final nail in their coffin if they were to get beat? Yeah, it's, it's there's a lot of parallels, I think, between what I was saying about the Newcastle-Leeds game is whoever wins this, could it could be a turning point for their season, to be honest, and, and the other will be really kind of put down to the doldrums of the Premier League and, and wondering how they're going to climb out of that hole. Uh Watford are really intriguing, I think, as a side. Like, you look at some of the players they've got, finally able to use the likes of Cucho, who's had some really interesting times in Spain, scoring a fair amount of goals. Dennis as well, another player up top that can score and has already shown that this season, bringing in the likes of Sissoko from Spurs. I thought that was a very decent addition for their side too. And that's one of those classic kind of promoted Premier League uh, kind of signings from a top club that can't get any minutes there anymore and towards the end of their career, but I thought he would make a difference. Norwich... You're right in the sense that they've had an awful open to the season. I mean, you must be bad if Arsenal can beat you is the joke to make at the start of the campaign. But they they offered a couple of decent flashes of brightness in that match. I mean, Puki was unlucky of a couple of chances at the Emirates. And it's the difference for them, isn't it? If, if he can score goals this season, that's the difference. But if Puki doesn't score, you start to wonder... Where are you going to get the goals from? Buendia's absence is is massive for them. Him leaving after the championship season that he had was such a blow. And they never really did enough to, in my view, to replace him. Like Rashika coming from 
from Germany. He's, he's, an okay, he's a decent player, but I don't look at him anywhere close to Buendia's kind of level. And I mean, when you look at and you hear about how Aston Villa dealt with the Grealish departure and you hear about from their executives higher up and what they did with Ings and, and Buendia and, and, and Bailey coming in as, as a real plan to replace that. I never got the same sense that Norwich knew what they were going to do when Emi Buendia left. And I think they're probably feeling the effects of that this season. So I would interestingly lean towards a, a Watford win and an opportunity for them to kickstart their campaign and, and probably a realisation that Norwich are, as you say, one of the big favourites of relegation. Do you think, Alex, that this is kind of where Norwich start their season? Because if had fixtures, you wouldn't have expected them to pick up points. Like nobody in their opening four games thought they were going to get any points and they haven't. Do you think this is really where their Premier League campaign campaign begins? I think so. Um, for me, I watched Watford against Wolves last week and I was very disappointed with Watford. Um, they really struggled um, and, and Wolves completely outplayed them and, and got a deserved victory. I, I, I think for Norwich, for me, whenever I watch them, they look good. But defensively, there are too many mistakes. Just individual errors, just completely overriding any good good attacking play and, and and anything that you think about them that okay they could be all right then something happens and, and they're a goal behind as tom mentions timo puki is their leading marksman but who else is going to score goals they need to find somebody capable if, if we're assuming puki will get between 10 and 12 they need somebody who's going to get six to ten they need to find some other finishers um i think this is this is a game after such a difficult start where Quite frankly, Daniel Farke will have said to his players, look, we need a win here to set us up for a season. Because if they don't, if, if, if Watford come away from this and, and we're looking at Norwich and we're going, right, you had a really difficult start and then you've got one of your fellow promoted teams and you've lost that as well. That's just going to have a deflating effect for, for players, fans, everybody related to Norwich City. Um, unfortunately for them... They haven't done well against Watford in recent years. Um, I think Watford beat them twice last year in the Championship. So, saying that, you know, history's on Watford's side. But I think for me, I haven't been impressed with Watford so far. I think they were good for 45 minutes against Villa on the opening day. And since then, I haven't seen much of them as an attacking threat. And I think defensively, they really got fanned out last weekend. Um, you can get out of them with pace. You can you can get out their fullbacks. You can get in behind them. I think what Norwich do play some good football. They've got some neat and tidy players. And I, I think the Canaries do get their first three points this weekend. Finally, a little bit of disagreement there between the two of you. have been in each other's pockets the whole time. They're agreeing with everything you've said, each other's said. Um, okay, well, we're just about out of time now. So thanks, Tom, for coming on. Thanks, Alex, as well. Hopefully this weekend is going to be as exciting as the previous week's football been certainly midweek's been very very exciting most of the Champions League and even the Europa League and even the Europa Conference League Tottenham was reasonably entertaining yesterday um, so please remember to subscribe if you haven't already and please enjoy your weekend <laughs>